Easter, a time of solemn remembrance, yet also of great rejoicing. Remembrance because Jesus sacrificed. Jesus gave up his life for us. He died in our place. That's not where the story ends. Jesus rose from the dead, confirming his authority even over death itself. We have great rejoicing because we can be assured of life even after we die. What makes Jesus dying 2,000 years ago let me live a life of freedom? Let's look through the ledger to see how Jesus paid it all when dying on the cross in our place. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday as we begin a whole new series today. It's only a couple of weeks and through until Easter. That's a bit fun. Um, Abigail was just sharing this with us, must have been yesterday, how far her birthday is, how long she has to wait, because she has to wait till Christmas time, and, uh, but we reckon she didn't have to wait much longer for Easter. So that's exciting. I love Easter. Um, I think it's just a, one of the most um, wonderful times for family. I don't know that we understand the significance as well as we should or could sometimes, and then the sacrifice that was paid for us at that time, that when we think of sacrifice, usually for us it means giving up something or, or taking something on that costs us a little bit of money or inconvenience or uncomfortableness. I don't know if that's a word. Usually when we think of sacrifice, we fast from food or we fast from technology or we fast from something and it's an inconvenience for us for a time or we sacrifice in in our giving and so we go without for a little while but Jesus gave up his whole life for us he died he gave up everything there was nothing left that he could give he died for us and so we remember that at this time of year, it's a significant time to remember, but it, it should carry us through the entire year. Because without Jesus dying, without the sacrificial giving that Jesus gave, we would not be sitting where we're sitting today, whether it's in a service or in, in, in this building or it's somewhere else in the world watching online. It's just, we, I don't know whether we understand that or, or understand the significance of that. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, it confirmed for us his authority and his deity. Because he alone could do that. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he too, or we too, can be assured of the fact that when we die from this life, that we have the opportunity of being raised back to life. The destination for us after we leave this planet is determined what we believe, or more accurately, in whom we believe. This life will end as you know it and I know it. We will, this body will die. Yours will die as well at some point in the future and distantly we hope. But at some point we will leave this planet. 
and the, your people might remember you, but you will die in your physical body, but your spirit or your soul lives forever. It never dies. When you were born, God gave you your soul. He made you you. Your DNA might have come from your parents, but God instilled into you a soul, which is quite different from other animals and stuff that God made in the book of Genesis. And that soul, while your body will die, does not die. It will live forever. And the the place or where it's determined to live will be up to us and how we live this life. The Bible outlines what steps we need to take. And we can make those steps right now and we can be absolutely assured that our eternity can be spent in heaven. We can have that assurance today at this moment so that whatever took place, we could be confident that we could be in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what this series is all about. It's called Paid. The price for our salvation and for our entrance into the kingdom of heaven has been paid in full. There is nothing further for you to do. There's nothing further for me to do. It's been paid in full. And yet so many in our society either don't care about that or they're ignorant of what that actually means, or they're so arrogant that they assume that they know better. Which is disheartening when you think about the numbers, the sheer numbers alone, who are going to end up in a Christless eternity because of an attitude or an unwillingness to submit. But I don't want to get too far ahead because for us to fully understand what Jesus did on the cross, we have to understand something of the sacrificial system that God put in place thousands of years ago. If we don't understand even a little bit of that, it will not make sense to us why Jesus had to die. We will treat it as just something he did, which I think is part of the problem. In our last series, our, our series that we just finished on identity, we spoke about the fact that we were created for relationship and God pursues a relationship with you and I that's real and personal. He wants an intimate love relationship with us. And in Genesis, we read how he recognized the fact that man needed a helper, that man, it's not good, he said, that man should be on his own. He needed a companion uh, one of the translations uses the word help meet. It simply means someone who would meet the needs and help those, help the man in achieving his goals and purposes. It was a stand alongside of. It wasn't someone inferior. It was someone who was to stand alongside and to, to enhance what God had already done. So the scriptures tell us that God created the first man and then created woman from the rib of man. And he formed her to be his helpmeet and his support. But then when we get to Genesis 3, we, we find that this utopian relationship that God had had with mankind suddenly gets disrupted and taken away very quickly. Now, God needed to ban 
people or men from the Garden of Eden. It got to that point where the, the Garden of Eden that God had provided for as a blessing for mankind suddenly became something he had to stop them from being part of. He gave them a blessing and removed the blessing. Keep that in mind as we go through this series. He, he gave them a blessing. He removed them a blessing. And what happens at that point sets the stage for the rest of this series because I want, well, I want you to open up your scriptures. It'll be on the screen. Um, wherever you're watching it from, it'll be on the screen here. But we're going to start out from chapter 2. I just want to read a couple of verses from Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, it says, The Lord placed, or the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, that's probably a fairly familiar verse to most of us. But just so we understand this, the woman had not yet been formed. God spoke to the man and said this. And even though in Genesis 1, verse 27, we read that God created the male and female, chapter 2 actually goes slightly back in time to recap that in a little bit more detail. You've watched the movies on TV where it starts off and this, suddenly this big thing happens and then on the screen pops up two months earlier or five hours earlier and it takes you back in time. That's what Genesis 2 does. Genesis 1 is the outline of everything that took place. Genesis 2 is sometime earlier. And this is how... And God describes how he created the animals. He put them in place. He then created man first and then brought woman onto the scene. So it doesn't contradict. Chapter 2 does not contradict chapter 1. It actually gives us a little bit more detail into chapter 1. Chapter 2 revisits the creation story of plants and animals and mankind in more detail. But then chapter 3 comes along. And we're not sure of the time frame between chapter 2 and chapter 3, but I would suggest that it's very short time. In fact, it may have just been days. But when it happens, or what happens in chapter 3, had consequences that still affect us, you and I, today. And it's an important chapter for us to understand that. What happens in chapter 3 was the reason that Jesus had to be put on a cross and sacrificed. He, it was the reason he had to die. It's the reason that many end up in a Christless eternity when their life is over on this planet. Chapter 3 is where that part began. <clears throat> so I want you to join. I'm going to read all of chapter 3 because I think there's some, there's some stuff we're not going to... Talk about everything. There is so much in chapter 3, but I do want to highlight the whole story so you get the context of this. Genesis chapter 3. And it says, verse 1, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say to you, say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Hold up for a second. 
I want you to notice something there that Satan did not go to the man, even though it was to the man that God had spoken. Keep that in mind. Of course, she says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Note that. And he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the serpent deceived me, she replied, that's why I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And he said to the man, since you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow. You will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, both knowing, sorry, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had made. Then after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim in the east of the garden and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis chapter 3. First point, if you're taking notes on your sheets, man's disobedience broke the relationship we had with our creator. Man's disobedience broke the relationship that man had with our creator. And there is so much in chapter 3 of Genesis that explains things in our society today. We're not going to get through them all. There's, we don't need to get through them all. and We don't have the time for a start, but some of it is just so obvious. We can see that clearly. 
But perhaps one of the most important things that we really do need to understand out of chapter 3 is that our relationship with God was broken at that point and nothing we could do could fix it, could get it back. Adam and Eve, it tells us, sewed fig leaves together. That was their attempt at covering up their shame. It was clear that that wasn't enough when we hear what God did later on. And at that moment of decision that they made to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the relationship that they had with the Lord God changed in an instant. It was taken away from them forever. They would never again hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. That was the last time they heard it. They were never allowed in the Garden of Eden ever again. The relationship that they had enjoyed for potentially just a very short period of time was taken away in an instant. Their eyes were opened. The good news, God had a plan of redemption. I kind of get the feeling that God knew that they'd mess up because already he had a plan in place. While all was lost from a man's perspective, God was already beginning to implement his plan of redemption, his plan for salvation for us and to rescue mankind back from the brink of death. Paul talks about it in the book of Romans, Romans 8. He says, so there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an, in, an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God had the plan in place. He already knew what he was going to do. He had put in place a plan way back in Genesis for Jesus to come at just the right time to do the work that we could not do for ourselves, to restore the relationship that mankind once had with our heavenly creator. Jesus paid the price that you and I could not pay. We were unable to do that. And God's desire for mankind would be that he would once again return to him and be restored in the relationship that he once enjoyed with us and we enjoyed with him. Rather than the world being held captive by the serpent or by the devil. Because while they listened to the devil, while they listened to the serpent, he was their God at that point in time. That's who they submitted to. That's who they listened to. He's the one that we struggle with, even in our society, whoever we listen to. He was the one who was directing their life at that moment in time. He came to Eve, 
Did God really say that you can't eat any of the fruit of the garden? Of course not. Eve didn't get it right either, by the way. But that aside, she listened to her God at that moment in time. He was the one who convinced her that God was lying to them. He was the liar. Even though he convinced Adam and Eve with a lie. And that's what continues today to the extent that if we were to say to somebody that Jesus can save us, their reply would likely to be, save me from what? I don't need to be saved from anything. We don't need saving. Yet our world is being led, is being controlled by a liar. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, we've read it many times over the past few weeks. The God of this world, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. He's a liar from the beginning. And he is, has convinced us that this is as good as it gets. This is a wonderful place to be. Eat, drink, party, enjoy life, celebrate. Do whatever you can. Do what, as much as you can. It doesn't matter because you're a long time dead. That's the mentality that our world generally carries along with it. And Satan has lied. He's convinced us that there is no better than what we've got. He's convinced us that this is all we've got, that life does not go on. And yet the scriptures tell us that there is a life after this life that we have on this planet. We have a choice to make, whether we agree and listen to the word of God or we start to listen to the, the voice of the God of this world. That's the choice that you and I both need to make. And so when Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were banned from eating, the repercussions of that flowed down and they continue to flow down through every generation until we are part of that process. We are all born with a bias toward doing what's wrong, a bias towards sin. It's in our DNA. We've inherited it from Adam and Eve as it's been passed down through every generation. Everyone on this planet before us and whoever will come after us will all inherit this same problem. We have a bias towards sin. The Bible calls it a sin nature. And Paul tells us this in Romans 3, 23. He says, everyone has sinned. <clears throat> we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We aren't going to escape from that. There's not a truer statement anywhere about the nature of mankind. We are all born with this sin nature, born to do wrong. A nature that can, will cause us to be rebellious against God, who will doubt the word of God, who will question what God really says. Did God really say? And it will cause us to do exactly the same thing. We can't escape that because we are born into this humanity. We are born with this sin nature. But the good news is that we don't have to be stuck with it. When That God has provided a way of escape. He's provided a way of redemption for us so that we don't have to 
be doomed to life or a Christless eternity. That God has provided a way out. He's provided a way of escape for us. And he's provided a way for the relationship that he once had with mankind to be restored. And that too began back in Genesis 3. Because Genesis 3 verse 2 uh, Genesis 3 tells us that God provided a covering for Adam and Eve. God provided a covering for their sin, point two. God provided a covering for their sin. Genesis 3.20 says, Then God, the man Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Adam and Eve sewed together fig leaves. God provided animal skin. Now, just again so you understand this, Eve had no name at this point. She was the woman, the woman that you gave me. It wasn't until after God had given them their, the repercussions for their sin that it tells us that Adam named his wife Eve. Because she would become the mother of all nations. That's why when, when God says to Adam, what have you done? He doesn't say, Eve told me. He says, that woman you gave me, she's the one that did it. He was blaming God in effect. He wasn't even really blaming Eve as much. And yet Adam was standing right beside her. He was standing right there with her. If, you think, if you're a man and you're thinking it's that woman, you are thinking wrong thoughts at this moment in time because we are all equal. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, male and female. It doesn't matter. And this is really one reason why I think that it was a very short period of time between when God made Adam and Eve and when they sinned because it seems to be that until this point they'd had no sexual relationship because it was only after this that they came together and then they, we find that their children started to come on their way. It probably wasn't months. It was more likely days between when God created Adam and Eve and when the serpent came and tempted and Eve and Adam both gave in to that temptation. But look at what God did. Earlier back in chapter 2 we read this. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were both naked and they felt no shame. One chapter later, perhaps just a few days later, after they'd eaten the fruit from the forbidden tree, we read these words. It says, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden and I hid because I was afraid, because I was naked. And yet just days, perhaps, or months earlier, he would, they were unashamed of their nakedness. Now they were suddenly ashamed of that. Who told you, God said, that you were naked? And the Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. And then the blame game starts to process from that point on. Suddenly they were embarrassed that God might see their nakedness. Who created them in the first place? Sin had entered into their life. It had caused to be 
distorted the view to be distorted of what God was doing and what God had provided for them. What God had provided as pure, sin had distorted to make something it should never have been, and it continues today. Sin revealed their nakedness, and what God does next shows his compassion for us and love, even though we are so disobedient as human beings. He made clothing from animal skins for both Adam and his wife. Think about that. Where did he get the animal skins from? He sacrificed an animal at that moment in time to provide a covering for the sin that Adam and Eve had made. He sacrificed an animal at that moment in time. There was a shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there was no covering up what Adam and Eve had done. The Lord God made animal skins. And what happened at that point set the process up for the future, for what particularly through the Old Testament law, God sacrificed an animal to cover up the effects of sin to Adam and Eve. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, we are told in scriptures. Without the shedding of blood, there was no covering up of their shame and their sinfulness. The sacrificial process was implemented right at that moment in time. Man's ability to do that was not possible. God provided a way for that shame to be covered up. Third point, the animal sacrifice wasn't sufficient, was not sufficient. And while the covering enabled Adam and Eve to be more comfortable around each other and ultimately other people, the issue of sin continued to remain. They were still sinners. They still recognised their, their, or they were embarrassed by their nakedness. But the clothing gave them the ability to enjoy each other's company without having to be shamed at each other's looks. But the covering wasn't enough to take away the sin part, the guilt part. What was it going to take for the sin to be dealt with? So God implemented this sacrificial system as in the Old Testament as part of worship and what he was requiring. So that system detailed how the, in, if you want to read it in the book of Leviticus, you can read it through the book of Leviticus. And if you've ever tried to read the book, it's a little boring at some points. And if you've never tried to read it, you should just at least try. But it's, it's one of those books where you tend to skip over a lot of stuff because a lot of things is repeated over and over again. It's hard going and it can be a bit boring unless we understand the sacrificial system that God was implementing into that community at that particular point in time. Why is it hard to follow? Why is it a little bit boring? It goes back to what I said right at the beginning. We don't understand sacrifice. Sacrifice for us is giving up a little bit of money, a little bit of time, a little bit of food, a little bit of something, so that we can get, and then hurrying through it so we can get back to doing what we're going to be doing. 
We don't understand the sacrifice that Jesus paid. We have no clue on that. For us, we don't get sacrifice very well. It might cost us a little bit, but it doesn't. Imagine for them, though, in the Old Testament, when they were to bring a, a lamb or a bull or whatever they were bringing into the sacrificial place for the, of the temple. Imagine the sensory overload that took place right there, where there is this animal being carried in or led in. It's, it's bellowing. The smell that goes along with that. Imagine the resistance of the animal as it's bound up and put on and begin to cut up the blood that went around that was put on the posts of the altar. Imagine that for just a second. Imagine the smell that comes along with the burning flesh. The bones, imagine the sensual overload that everyone had to put up with, knowing that it was their sin that put them on that, that put that animal through that pain. It was my fault that did that. The animal was innocent, but because of my sin, it was sacrificed to cover up my sinfulness. We don't understand that enough, I don't believe. And imagine the frustration of knowing that tomorrow you'll be back doing it exactly the same again because it was a daily sacrifice. It was the reality of this ongoing issue of sin that caused them to need to present themselves a daily sacrifice to the Lord. It was never ending. It went on and on. The animal sacrifice was never enough. So it was became an ongoing ritual for worship. But that was some of the problem because it became a ritual. It became so ritualistic that the offerings actually came to mean nothing at all. Ah, I've got to go and do this again. And it became, they became blind to what was actually happening. In fact, they were thinking, just because I've got to do this today, I can go away and do whatever I want tomorrow because I'll be back here again tomorrow. But sins can be forgiven tomorrow. I'll go and enjoy life while I can. I might as well just do what I want to do because my sins are going to be forgiven next time I come to the altar. And that prompted God to speak through Hosea and a number of others to, to the people of Israel in Hosea 6. He says, I want you to show love not to offer sacrifices, even though he'd ordained this process of sacrifice. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke the covenant. You know better than Adam is what God is saying. And betrayed my trust. God spoke through 1 Samuel as well. He says, what's more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. What's the most important? Listen, he says, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of, fat, of the fat of rams. And that sentiment is repeated time and time again all through scripture, both New and Old Testament. While the sacrifice was meant to remind people of their sin and guilt, it had come to mean nothing more than just this ritualistic way of keeping on sinning and avoiding their old sin nature, or trying to. 
while the law was meant to keep the Israelites from sinning, it actually gave them a way out without having to repent. They twisted it to mean something it was never meant to mean. Was the law wrong? Absolutely not, because it, our sinful nature, it, it was turned and we used what God had implemented for good, the blessing that he had given us, we turned into a curse at that moment in time. We've, we used what God had given us as good and we listened to the God of this world and we ignore that God's truth is always true. Romans 7, Paul writes this, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. <coughs> Excuse me. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But it didn't. Instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why when Christ came into this world, he said to God in Hebrews, he said, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you've given me a body to offer and you were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O Lord, O God, as it's written about me in the scriptures. Even though sacrifices were required under the Mosaic law, Jesus came to do the will of God. He cancelled the first covenant. He cancelled it. Salvation was no longer about keeping to the letter of the law anymore because the law was never enough. Salvation was now through believing in Jesus Christ because Jesus himself, the perfect lamb sacrifice, the son of God, he, he did not inherit the sin nature that you and I inherited from Adam and Eve. He was the only possible way of escape for us because he came, we read it before, in the form of a body of, our, of this sin, sinful man. He came and offered himself as the perfect, sinless, pure sacrifice. We have the nature of Adam. He had the same body type as Adam, but his nature was not sinful. He did not inherit that. That made him the only one who was eligible to actually pay the price of salvation, the cost of redemption for you and I. And he took your sin and he took my sin upon himself and he accepted our guilt upon himself when he went to the cross. Even though he had never sinned, he received your sin and my sin and he was sacrificed on the cross. We celebrate that at Easter time. He took our sin upon himself because he was righteous and because he was holy 
And when Jesus died on the cross, his blood, a blood was shed as payment for our sin. Everything in the Old Testament was purified by blood, if you want to read through it. Everything. When Jesus shed his blood for us, it was no longer an animal sacrifice. He was the once and for all sacrifice. Our sin was dealt with once and for all. And that's what we celebrate at Easter. We celebrate that Jesus would give up his life, his perfect, holy, righteous life. He would leave the security of heaven and come in the form of a man. That he would enter onto this planet and take the form of a man and accept my sin and your sin. Our salvation, although free, is not automatic for all of us. Even though the payment has been made, the only way that we can enter into the kingdom of God is to accept the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. In other words, being a good person is not going to land us in heaven. It's not going to entitle us to say to God, well, I've been a great person. He's going to say, if that's your reason, if that's your only reason, he's going to say, go away from me, I never knew you. Just because we're good people, that does not ensure our place in heaven. The only way that we can be assured of a place in heaven is to accept that Jesus Christ paid the price of my sin to believe in him, to confess our sin, to believe in him, repent of our sinfulness and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. It's the only way. We need to accept that we belong to Christ when we do that, that we give our life into his hands. We're his possession. That we give him our life to him as a way of accepting the free gift that he will then offer us. Give your life to him. He responds by giving you eternity in the kingdom of heaven, plus a bunch of other stuff that goes along with. And if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to his ways and his wills, you are heading to a Christless eternity because 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I want to invite any that are either here, watching online, wherever we're part of, if you have never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have continued to live your life the way that you want to, today is the day of salvation. Today is the opportunity to be assured of your place in heaven. Today, salvation can come into your household. Salvation is, the only, is only through Jesus Christ. It cannot happen any other way. And unless we understand the sacrificial system that has been in place since the beginning of time as we know it, we are never going to understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. We talk about it, but I think it becomes a little ritualistic for us too. We're about to, to join together in communion. And that too can become ritualistic. We talk about the cup, the bread, we eat, we drink, put it aside, put the things in the bin, 
go on with our day because it's so ritualistic and we've forgotten the sacrifice that Jesus paid for you and I. I don't know where you stand today. I think I know some, but I don't, I'm sure I don't know all. If you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've held on to your life for yourself, today is the day of salvation. Maybe you've walked away or you've done that at the beginning of earlier in life and you've realised that, hey, I've, it's become ritualistic to me. I need to revisit that. I need to recommit to that. Today is a great day to make a recommitment in that way. It's not that Jesus is having to, to come back into your life. It's your commitment back to him and saying, Lord, I, I've messed up. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you. You can be clean. He's faithful and he will do it. So let me pray. I, want to, I do want to pray. I want to go straight into communion today. Maybe some of you need to make this decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, after communion, we're going to be having a song that I want you to come forward in, if that's possible for you, to publicly declare it. But if not, that's fine. But right now, I want to just take this next step of, of remembering the significance of what was done for us on the cross. <clears throat> Prior to the cross, Jesus met with his disciples. He met with them and they were in a, in a room together all on their own, probably sitting in some form of a circle. More than likely sitting on the floor or, or cushions at the very best. Jesus knew exactly what was about to unfold. The disciples, perhaps not so. And he took two common elements of the day, which he was so good at, taking what was ordinary and using it in a spiritual context. That's exactly what he did. He took a loaf of bread and a, and a glass of wine. And he took the bread with his disciples and he broke it before them Breaking the loaf, I would then presume that he would send it on its way down around the circle, each one tearing a piece of bread from the loaf of bread. Maybe even not making a lot of sense, even though Jesus had said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat in remembrance of what has been done for you and be grateful I'm sure there was a bit of confusion in their heads. What is he talking about? What does he mean this is my body? What does he mean that it's broken for you? I'm sure there were some of those questions from the disciples. We have bread, a wafer. If you've never used your little things before, tear off the top layer and you'll find a little, little wafer there. After the supper, after the bread... 
was shared around and they ate afterwards. Jesus took a goblet of wine, red wine. And he said to his disciples, this is my blood which has been shed for you. Take it and drink it in remembrance. The new covenant I'm, gi I'm giving you now. The new way of doing things. My blood, my body has been broken and shed for you. So here we are, 2,000 years later or so, sitting in a culture where we are so ritualistic about what we're about to do that we miss the significance of sacrifice. Jesus paid it all. So let us take the bread and let's eat it together in remembrance of what was being done for us. When Jesus took the cup, wine would have been a very common element. In fact, it was probably safer to drink the wine than drink the water in places. And yet it's become for us something quite different in our society. But here we are today, not red wine in your little cups, but grape juice nevertheless, signifying what Jesus did. He shed his blood for us. So take the cup and drink it together in remembrance of what God has done for us and be grateful. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we want to honour you. Even now as we have taken the bread and, and juice and remember the significance of what was done for us because we were unable to do it for ourselves. That through the sin of one man or through the, the work of one man, sin entered our world, but through the work of one man, we have salvation. The first Adam brought sin in. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, dealt with the consequences of that. And we give you praise and we give you honour. We worship you and we worship you alone. May you, Heavenly Father, be given all honour, all praise, all worship, wherever we go, whatever we say, whatever we think, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.